0: need of prayer. Um, please pray for us. We have a lot of things in the pipeline and we're hopefully going to have a meeting on some of this stuff uh, shortly. Um, pray for our school. Um, we are still waiting on the people who own the property to finalize all of the things that they need to finalize with the city. And it appears, but it's, it's, it's worked in our favor because we've been able to get everything that we need to do from our end completed as far as the legalities. So all of our stuff is completed. We're waiting on them as far as the building, and we want to get the, into the building by the end of June, early July, and we would really love, so help us, pray for us, let's just believe God together um, to uh, get in that building by the end of, um, do we want to start the school by the end of August? So we're starting a preschool, and we really would like to get it going by the end of August. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. We really want to do. That by the end of August, and then um, also uh, we want to. Sorry, I'm just trying to get everything lined up here. Uh, we also we're, we're applying for a grant, and we're in the process of applying for a grant. So please pray for us on that. It's $175,000, so it's a significant grant. It gets ah, that's right, Sugar Ray. He's excited about that, right? So. Uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a prevention grant, so um, it, it would really help us and enable us to forward the church's ministry into the community, and uh, so that's really what it's, what it's all about. The, 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 the offering sustains the church, right? Just so you guys can kind of understand the dynamic, in order for it church, there were four rivers that fed the garden. So God had a river in the, he had a Garden of Eden, right? And that garden was fed by four streams, not just one. There were multiple streams that fed that garden, You know, the offering and the tithe and the offering, what it does is it supports the church. But we have to create, my job is To create, that's one of my leadership jobs. That would, I, I should be doing that, right? If you have a pastor, he should be looking for ways to expand the ministry. Part of my job is to create other avenues and other rivers or to find those other sources to provide revenue into the church to enable us to further our mission. And so that's one of the things that we're, we're, we're looking at. The school is going to be one of those components. We're going to get grants, it's inevitable. It will happen, I can assure you. God has provided for us. We've been believing God for a grant writer. And um, one, one morning, you guys want a story? Okay, because we're all just relaxed. We're going to get to the teaching, right? You're just like, this is the teaching? Is this a conversation? Is he actually teaching? Uh, one morning, one morning, I'm in the back, and I'm, I'm over here, and I'm just writing stuff. I'm just, you know, just random things. Sometimes I just write down random things, right? Random things. And I wrote down on the back of a paper, I wrote down grants, 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 just in three words, right? Yeah. And that Sunday... After service, one of the guys that comes here, Raul, he's not here. uh, He comes up to me, and he walks right up to me at the end of the service. He goes, "Um, Pastor, have have you ever considered getting grants? And I was like, yeah? And he goes, I know a really great grant writer. He's like, he was one of the, he was one of the uh, main guys in the city of Miami, and he sat on all these coalitions and all these boards, and he goes, he's a fantastic grant writer. I took the piece of paper that was laying right in front of me, and I flipped it over, and it said, Grant, Grant, Grant. I said, I just wrote this this morning. And so I end up calling this guy, and I've had a couple meetings with him, and um, uh, so he's already applying uh, for us to, he just, he jumps right on it. He's a go-getter, and, uh, and that's what I like about this guy, so We believe God's going to do something significant with us. And so there's a lot of things happening uh, behind the scenes, but nothing's really manifested yet. So there's not quite a lot to talk about, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the veil. Uh, We're going to launch a discipleship program for pastors in India. That's going to probably happen within the year. And uh, our goal is to start planning churches in India, and then our goal off of that is to create a global church planning network. So we wanna create a template and a model of planning churches, and we're gonna probably pilot this thing with India, and then hopefully if we get our, if, we, if all goes according to the plan and the goal, that we'll be able to create a system that we'll be able to replicate, and we can replicate planning churches around the world. You know, So that's really the goal. And you say, you think you can do that? I'm like, I believe I can do that. And I what you guys want another story? This is how the Lord works, right? This is how the Lord works. He gives you a vision and then he'll give you a word or he'll give you a word and then he'll give you a vision. Again, a woman I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, she's just been going through a whole bunch of stuff she was telling me and I'm like, you need to be in church. This is where you need to be. This is where your family is. This is where people care for you and love you. She comes up to me and she sits down and I was talking to her and she was just sharing with me. She said, my father just passed away. And she said he didn't go into full-time ministry until he was in his 60s, late 50s, early 60s. She said he was always in ministry, but he didn't go into full-time ministry until he was in his 60s. And she said in the last, I think, 25 years of his life, he planted 147 churches around the world. Yeah, that crazy? Marlena's dad. Yeah, uh, Lily knows her. And, she, and Victor, you got, some of you guys know Victor. Victor's in Colombia because he went down there to take care of his mom. Victor's hosting a Bible study in his home. That's a whole other story. But he's hosting a Bible study. He's got people, all kinds of crazy people. He's always calling me for doctor. And he's like, this person said this. Is that right? This person said this. Is that right? And so anyway, that's side side story. But Victor in Victor's Bible study, there were people that knew about Marlena's dad's death. And they didn't even, no one even knew they were, they were talking about it in that Bible study that this really awesome man of God had just passed away. And Victor goes, I know of the daughter. And so if you think you're too old, if anybody told you you're too old, this dude didn't start until he was in his 60s. And he planted 147 churches, right? My goal in the next 10 or 15 years was to plant 100 churches. That was my goal. And I'm like, I need to up my game. I'm like we need to we need to up our game. This dude did 147. Well, we need to we need to kind of get go for 250. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Just casual conversations here on Sunday morning. So anyway, back now we're going to do the teaching. All right. So uh, yeah, it's a loose day. So John chapter 16 verse 33. We're doing a series on overcoming power. And today, well, last week we were talking about overcoming discouragement, and now we're going to talk about overcoming sin. It's going to get quiet in a room real crickets right right but don't worry it's going to get bad and then it's going to get good right that's 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 the gospel it's bad news good news is only good news if you understand the bad news you understand doctor can hand you a group of pills and he can say hey take these every take these every hour you know and he could just give them to you and then you could go Psh, this is meaningless but if he told you you had a terminal disease and you need to take these every hour you'd be taking them every hour You'd set an alarm. That's good news. Wait a minute, this is a cure for my disease? Yeah, but you, would not, you wouldn't appreciate it until you first understood that you had a problem. So the premise of this, this series is off of this. John 16 says this, I've told you these things. Say this, Jesus has told me these things so that I may have peace. In this world, I will have trouble. That's right. You know how you spell Trouble. L-I-F-E, that's trouble, right? Life is trouble. The gospel promises us and teaches us that we're going to have trouble in this life, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's the difference between the believer and the non-believer. We go through trouble. Trouble does not consume the believer. We walk through what other people sink in. That's the difference, right? That's the difference, the difference between when I became a Christian and when I wasn't a Christian, it's a roller coaster ride. I was, remember saying one time, and I was like, man, Lord, this, this is like life's just, and he goes, Kevin, but you're always moving forward. You're always moving forward. That's the difference between your life as a believer and your life before you came to Christ. Your life will move forward. It will not stop. Those things that present themselves to you will move out of the way. The mountains will not stop you. The only thing that stops the believers when they quit. Jesus said, You're going to have peace. I've told you this so you may have shalom. In this world, there's going to be a lot of problems, but you need to have courage and you need to have encouragement because I've overcome the world. And you say, Well, what's this that overcomes the world? Well, again, the Bible answers that. Glad you asked. 1 John 5 4. Whatever or whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Eh? How are you born of God? In Christ. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So what the Bible's teaching us here, he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's given us two concepts. So this idea of overcoming the world, this idea of overcoming power comes in two forms. First of all, when you become a believer, you come out of a broken system. You come out of a fallen system. You come out of a system that is doomed to destruction. So you come out of that, and you've overcome a world that you couldn't get out of. Before you came to Jesus, you are in part of a system that you can't get free or you couldn't free yourself from. That's why when you become born again, you're in another world. The light goes on. You're part of a kingdom. You become someone that you weren't before. You come out of darkness, so there's the overcoming power. You not only come or overcome the world that way, but you now have overcoming power within you. The residing power of the gospel is within you. The residing power of the Holy Spirit is within you. And the overcoming power is activated by faith. So here's again, let's do let's use Christian dictionary, right? I'm going to interpret these things for you. I do this, when I, when I became a Christian, and the pastor would go up there, and he'd be talking about all these things, and he would never explain it, right? Like, sin! You know, or he'd be like, righteousness, justification. And I'd be like, what's that? That's a cool word, but I don't know what it means. Say this with me. Faith Faith is trusting trusting in the promises of God. That's what faith is. If you want to boil what faith down, what faith is, faith is believing and trusting in the promises of God. If you want to take it a step further, say this. Faith Faith is belief belief at the point of action. Belief, faith is not passive. Faith now, faith is. Faith is active and present, Hebrews tells us. Faith is now. It's not a passive thing. Oh, I believe as the ship goes by. No, God said it. I step into it and I activate and partner with what He said. That's what faith is. Faith is in, you. Jesus said, if you put faith in me, you believe, you give your heart to me, I'll forgive your sins, you'll come into, you'll become born again, you'll be adopted back in, grafted in, however you want to put it, as a son and daughter. You'll be translated from darkness to light. That's the message, that's the foundational message of the kingdom. That's the first message of the kingdom. And it flutters. That message means nothing until you grab it and activate it. It means nothing. Nothing. So if that faith, you can hear and hear and hear and hear and hear. You, can hear. you can intellectually believe. The Bible says you believe you do well, for even the devils believe. Belief in the mind does not mean conversion of the heart. You have to grab that gospel. You have to say, if I give my heart, he said he's going to do this. I believe it enough to do something. I believe it enough to step into it. That's faith. Faith's passive. Faith faith is not passive. Faith is active. You give your tithes and offerings. Why? Because God put a promise on there. doesn't matter which way you look at it. You say, I give my offering because God says he's worthy, because I believe God's worthy. Wonderful. So you're operating from the position of honor. Others operate from the position of, uh, shall we say, uh, capitalism. (laughs) He doesn't have a problem. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with capitalism. That's the thing. You know the problem? Jesus, Peter says, what do, you, what do we get for giving everything? Jesus said, don't worry about it. Nobody has given me anything that will not be rewarded in this life and in the one to come. So if you give, say, I give my offering because God promised to open up the storehouses. That's fine. It doesn't matter. But you, as long as you're activating and you're stepping in and believing into the point of the promise, that's the point. You believe. Say, oh, "I believe God. I believe God is the financial provider." Well, do you activate according to His financial plan? I believe that God answers prayers. Do you pray? I believe that God heals the sick. Do you lay hands on the sick? I believe God has a prophetic word. Do you go for a prophetic word? We believe this stuff, but we never activate it. Believe, Christian. Faith is not. Say it with me. Faith is not faith. passive. It's not. Jesus actually commends the boldness of faith. Read your scripture. Peter, get out of the boat. He didn't go, You idiot, what'd you get out of the boat? Don't you know you can't walk on water? He hit him on the arm. He said, Little faith. Good job, little faith. Look what you can do, Peter, with little faith. We, we interpret that to go, Peter, Jesus looked at him and said, Little faith. Oh, Peter, you're just little faith, as if the Lord was condemning him. That's not the conversation. That's not what he. That's not the context in which he was writing. If anything, Jesus should have looked at the others in the boat and said, "Why didn't any of you get out?" That's the question. So Jesus looks at him and goes, "Little faith, good job, little faith. Why'd you stop believing? Why'd you look at the waves? Why did you stop believing? Why'd you stop doing what you're saying? Why did you do that, little faith?" You know the story in the Book of Kings. The, the prophet was gave the arrows to the kings and told to be, to the king and told him to beat it on the ground. He tapped them. He was corrected because he didn't act boldly. He didn't act forcefully upon the promise of God. The, the, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violence take it by force. Bold action in the faith. You never have to worry about Jesus ever failing you in bold action. Your bold action may not succeed, but the Lord never looks upon that with disapproval. In fact, he actually rewards it. He goes, well, that didn't quite work out, but I commend your faith. Now let's take this faith and let's use it for something else. That's the way of the kingdom. Most Christians are so afraid of failing. Fear of failure is always greater than the desire for gain. We're so afraid of failing that we never try. When the Bible literally tells us to to, to go and to do and to go forward. So it tells us, the rebuke among the minas in the parable of the talents was never upon the ones who boldly went. Never. The rebuke was never upon the bold, the rebuke was upon the cowardly. You hear me say this all the time read the list in the book of Revelation of those who do not inherit the kingdom. You know who's number one on the list? The cowardly. Number one on the list of those who don't inherit the kingdom is the cowardly. The coward tops the list, tops it. Jesus is not about cowardice, man. He's not about passive, oh, I was afraid, oh, I don't know, you know, and we insulate ourselves. This is a kingdom of risk, people. Part of the culture of the kingdom is a kingdom of risk. And what we are to be amongst ourselves in which is we commend one another for risks. We commend the risk. We're to provoke one another unto good works by the boldness. What? You went and preached the gospel on the campus? No way. Yeah, man, they kicked me off. They threw stuff at me. Well, you shouldn't do that again. You should use a little more wisdom, brother. This is how we talk. Rather than, you know what we need to do? We need to do that again. And we need to pray. And we need to intercede. And we need to get a strategy from heaven about how to go about it. That's how we need to operate. We need need to operate in forceful mindsets, in strategic mindsets, in kingdom dynamic not looking at each other, and everybody's too afraid to fail. And then when somebody does fail, we all point fingers. Being self-righteous and superior, you failed, brother. Have you ever tried anything? Nope, but by, by God, you failed. Critics don't count. Critics don't count, Christian. Critics don't count. They don't. Critics are of no consequence in the kingdom of heaven. The only one that matters is Jesus, and he applauds it. He applauds it. He applauded Peter. He didn't condemn Peter. Sin is of no consequence in our world. Sin is an issue that has to be, it's a relevant topic within the church today. It's a topic in the American church. The American western church has taken the topic of sin off the table and we do it to our own doom. We do it to our own problems. I tell Christians all the time, if you go to churches in America, and you do not hear, and you go there for two or three months, and you don't hear the word sin, righteousness, or judgment mentioned in three months, that's probably not the church for you. Because that is one of the core gospel messages. Sin, not, sin not, not in this, you know, walk around in guilt and shame concept of sin. Sin in the understanding of the root cause of human problems. You cannot understand gospel. You cannot understand Jesus, why he came and the resurrection without first understanding sin. It's meaningless. Who is he? He's Gandhi. You know, he's Buddha. That's all he is. He's another teacher. But when you understand sin, Jesus all of a sudden becomes significant in the equation. Without sin, he's nothing. He's no more than than a glorious teacher. And that's how the world perceives him. Jesus was a good guy. The church has turned him into fairy Jesus. He's fairy Jesus, walking around and floating through the air and atmosphere, putting fairy dust on all of us. He's fairy Jesus. He's a king, ladies and gentlemen. He's a ruler, he sits upon a throne. <laughs> we, we, we mark a dispensation of grace for the awesomeness of God. He's awesome. The church has lost its awe. Sin means nothing in a, con- in, a, in a culture or in a society that neither honors God nor knows him. So sin is an irrelevant topic. Sin is, irrelevant to- is an irrelevant topic. And, in, in, you know, that's just, it, it's, it, that is not something that's even in conversation culturally. Sin loses its consequence among Christians when we lose the concept of the majesty of God. The church has lost its concept of the majesty of God. He's our big brother. He's the man upstairs. He's my buddy. Hey, he's the king. And, you know, he's the, he's the fairy Jesus floating around, sprinkling things on you. Is it a Bless Me Club? I tell Christians all the time. Yeah, it's a Bless Me Club under the lordship of the king, in sons and daughters, in relationship. He's a king, and he's majestic. Bible gives us a couple of pictures of him sitting on the throne. When Jesus, when, when our lives become relevant, is when we have an understanding of who he, who he really is, right? Who he, not only who he is in personification, his Savior, but who he is in Lordship. Bible tells us that. It tells us in, in Revelation, Jesus, when he sits on the throne, the sun, the moon, and the stars turn away. When Jesus looks, the sun vanishes. What, what is that trying to tell us? That's trying to tell us something. People go, when I get before the Lord, if I don't know Jesus, I'm going to have a conversation. Really? You're going to have a conversation? You won't even be able to open your mouth. Your bones will be rattling so, far, so hard, you know. If the sun and the moon and the stars flee from him, you will not open your mouth. The Bible speaks of the sinner standing before the Lord, and it said, you will be silent. Those who do not know Christ, when they come before the Lord, they will not even be permitted to speak. You will not open your mouth. You will receive sentence and judgment, and that is it. That's to those who don't know Christ. And do you think the church ought to be preaching a message of salvation? Why do we not preach a message of salvation? Why is it this inclusion gospel that we preach? Because we don't know the awesomeness of God. We don't know that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we think, well, I'm saved, so nobody else matters. Really? Really? <laughs> Ezekiel had a vision of, God the Lord. This is one of the most amazing visions in all of Scripture. And when any time God reveals something that's beyond human language, it says, say this with me, this This is like that. that. It does a comparative. It's called parabolas. In other words, God is trying to tell us or trying to explain to us the unexplainable in terms that we can understand. This is like that. And so Ezekiel sees the glory of God. And he sees living creatures that's all what do they look like living creatures that's pretty much how he describes it and he he says they are burning like coal so he saw living creatures burning like coal and above the living creatures the bible uses the word firmament which is another word for atmosphere so here's ezekiel before ezekiel even goes on his mission he sees the glory of the lord before Isaiah even does anything, he sees the glory of the Lord, the awesomeness of God, the majesty of God. Before Peter, James, and John did anything, part of their graduate studies was the transfiguration of Jesus in front of their very eyes. The disciples didn't do anything until they were struck with awe of a God who rose from the dead. <laughs> The awesomeness and the majesty of God has to be in our concept of who He is. If it's not, we, we lose all sense of value. God's like, not, not, the psalmist said this. God spoke to the psalmist and He said, You believe that I am altogether like you. God is not altogether like us. We're, we're to be like Him, but He is not altogether like us. His ways are not our ways, neither are His thoughts His thoughts. He can be known. God can be known. His heart can be known. He's better than you think. He's more good than you think. He's more compassionate. He's more loving. He's more amazing. He's more awesome. He's more powerful. All of these things are true. That's why you need to change the way that you think, because God's more awesome than you think. If God is more awesome than I think, therefore, I must change the way that I think. If God is more loving than I think, then I need to change the way that I think. My perception and my understanding of God is limited, very limited. We were created like him and bore him. The Bible says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does this mean? We fear and terror. It's an interchangeable Hebrew word, yatira, yetira. I can't remember, I can't pronounce it correctly, but it's an interchangeable word. And what it means is reverence and awe. Where does wisdom begin? That's why we have a society that has no wisdom. That's why most people are clueless in their lives because they have no access to wisdom. Well, why, where, where do you get wisdom? Wisdom begins when you reverence the Lord. It begins first in the revering and the honoring of God. I revere you, I honor you. The gates of wisdom are now open to you. You have access. Or it begins in this, the awe and the wonder of God. Wow. Awe, wonder. Either he, you, you have to come to a place where you are in awe and wonder of God. Jesus always wants to bring you into awe and wonder. Jesus, and if you can't get into awe and wonder, you need to go into reverence. Reverence is actually a lower form. Awe is the higher form, if you want to be clear. So in other words, if you can't get into the spirit and go, what, this God's crazy. He's not only, he's amazing, he's so good. He's not only so good, he's given this to me. He's called me to be his son. He's given me this purpose. He's given me this power. He's given me this calling. He's giving me that kingdom. What? What shall I do? How can I repay it? The love of Christ compels you. That's the high form. And you have access in that awe. You have access to the wisdom of God. Or you have access to God in the reverence of God. But when you are dishonoring, that's why honor, that's why you hear me say it all the time. Honor creates access. When you will not honor, you will not access. When you honor the Lord, you have access to him. When you honor his heart, you have access to his heart. When you honor his name, you have access to his name. When you honor his wisdom, you have access to his wisdom. If you will not honor him you will not access him. That's that's the point. That's why you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray but until you ask until you acknowledge Lord you are wise above all and you have given me access into your wisdom I honor you that you are the wisest of all and so I come into the pres- you have to honor you have to honor before you access. That's the way it is. And part of the reason the basis of honor is because he's a king. He said, like, You don't just go strolling into a king's presence. We can stroll into his presence because we're sons and daughters. We come boldly. We come boldly. But that, that begins with an understanding and a reverence that he's your father and you're a son and daughter. This, is the, this, this, this connection has to be made. And a lot of times, that's where the disconnect lies. Without reverence, without honor, sin will rule where the kingdom is supposed to, it just does. There's three concepts that have to be taught in the church. This is not not an option. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world. That's the cosmos of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And people go, well, that message of sin, righteousness, and judgment isn't for the church. It's for the world. Yes and no. We have to understand this concept. Because if we don't understand the concept of sin, righteousness, and judgment, we don't understand who he is, we don't understand who we are, and we don't understand what we're supposed to do. And so when that message is excluded from the church and the conversation, that's what leads to all the confusion. And where do we find ourselves? We don't know who we are. (laughs) We don't know who he is. And we don't know what we're supposed to do. (laughs) I just had a friend, and he told me, he's like, you know, asking me about life groups. He goes, how do you guys do your life groups? And I said, well, we just kind of, you know, it's about community and people coming together and praying for one another. We're really trying to do neighborhood-based groups. And they just kind of go over the Sunday teaching and discuss it. And he goes, really? He's like, wow. He's like, our life group, um, they were teaching everybody how to get a mortgage. They did a thing, their whole life group was based around how, to get, how you can get a mortgage. I'm all in. Teach people how to get a mortgage. But let's do a financial seminar. I'm not really going to hold that up as a value in, in life groups you know what I mean? It's like, look, we're going to do a financial seminar. You guys can come. We're going to teach you all these things. And we, we've done that from time to time. And I'm all about that. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I don't think that would be the sum total of a life group. But this is where we are. This is, this is kind of where, 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 we've, where, we, where we've brought ourselves. So the Jesus says, when the Spirit of God comes, you will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we're going to talk about sin in a second. But righteousness, what? Say this me. Righteousness. righteousness. Come on. Righteousness. righteousness. Is what is, right what is right to God. That's what righteousness means. It's not what is right to a culture. It's not what is right to a government. It's not what is right to the laws or the system of laws in which we find ourselves. None of that, all of that is irrelevant. Righteousness is what is right to the Lord. Just because a government says it's right doesn't mean it's right to God. Just because a culture says it's right doesn't mean it's right to God. And we have this whole conversation going on within this church well, it's legal. It's legal. I'm like, just because it's legal doesn't make it moral. There's a law that's higher than man's law, right? There's the moral law and the law of the spirit that is higher than the law of man. And just because it's legal does not mean it's moral. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Just the thought. Somebody's like, well, if we preach that message, Pastor, people won't come. I'm like, then don't let them come. That Jesus gave a message and everybody gets up and leave. He did it several times. He thinned the crowd. <laughs> Jesus, didn't you read the Didn't you go to the church growth seminar? <laughs> didn't you read? You're not supposed to say anything offensive. He's like, I'm the rock of offense. What do you want from me? I offend the pride of man because it's not about man's pride. It's about God's honor. It's not about our pride. It's about his honor. I didn't say people don't struggle. There's lots of struggles in our world. There's lots of things that you have questions with. I had a lot of questions when I came to Christ. A lot. I was worldly, very worldly, thinking in worldly ways, thinking there's nothing wrong with these things, nothing wrong with it at all. But then when I became a believer, I became a Christian. I was pretty much in a good church that told me, just shut up and do what you're told. And if you will just obey the Lord, he'll reveal everything to you in time, Kevin. It's not yours. He's not asking you for a vote, and he's not asking you for your opinion. We seem to think that God's asking us to vote, or we seem to think that he's asking us for our opinion. On these matters, and in this subject, he's not. When it comes to righteousness, he's not asking you what you think. There's a lot of things where God will engage you in a conversation. And that conversation that you will have with the Lord comes through a development of relationship. God will commune with you, and he will discuss things with you on a myriad of levels. And he will do that very clearly and very intimately and extraordinarily beautifully. But he doesn't do that on the issues, on the issues of righteousness. That's his alone. In his sovereignty, he's delegated authority to the church and to the believer. I would say 90% of all that God's kingdom is delegated in authority by the Holy Spirit. And there's about 10% of what? That he hasn't delegated it at all. Righteousness, he's never delegated. He's never given to man to say, hey, you determine what's right and wrong. He's never given that to us. Never. His return, when Jesus comes back, that's not up to us either. That belongs to him. He's coming back. We don't get the vote. Well, I don't think he should come back. Well, I think he should come back tomorrow. Well, I don't want him to come back. He's coming, people. He's coming. You don't, get a, you don't even get a vote on what he gives you. You don't, get to, you don't get to determine whether he loves you or not. He loves you. Whether you want to be loved or not, he's determined to love you. You can't change his mind on that. He's sovereignly chosen to love you. <laughs> it's crazy. Righteousness. You, in coming to Christ, you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That message needs to be taught. You can't screw this up if you tried. You are born again. You've been given a new nature. You're bought by the blood of Jesus. God no longer sees you in light of who you are. He sees you in light of who you are. He calls you son and daughter. Well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is you are son and daughter, born again by his spirit. We are to take the identity that he gives and live towards that identity. That's how we are to live. Righteousness. You're righteous. Didn't say you were perfect, but you're righteous. Do you know that? You're accepted, never to be denied. So when you're having a bad day and you don't even like you, you know what you tell yourself? Jesus loves me. I tell myself that all the time. God loves me. God accepts me. The dog doesn't like me, you know. I don't want to talk about cats. Anybody got cats? You ever tick a cat off? You do not want to make a cat mad, okay? Uh, Anybody got cats? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. When you make that cat mad, they leave you little deposits in places that are personal to you. (laughs) My wife was watching a cat one time for a lady who went off on a business trip, right? And she was supposed to go and feed the cat. So she would go and feed the cat. And when she went in, the cat had, let's just say, decided to relieve itself all the way across the desk. Not in a litter box. says, oh, you're going to go on a business trip? Well, let me tell you what I think of that business trip. You're going to leave me here by myself? Well, let me tell you what I think about that. Cats do stuff like that. (laughs) The cat will let you know that it doesn't like something that you're doing. (laughs) It's true. Sin, righteousness. We are right before the Father. No one can take it from you. Nobody. Nobody. Judgment. You're not going to be judged, Christian. Do you know the throne that Ezekiel saw? He saw a firmament, and he saw a throne above the firmament, and it burned with amber, and there was a man sitting upon that throne. It was as in the appearance of a man. Even in the Old Testament, God was personified as a man. So God sitting upon the throne as a man in a, on a throne that is blue, like sapphire, sapphire, he's sitting on a sapphire blue throne, burning with amber all around him, amber is an interesting thing, amber does not burn, it's consumed, it melts, it literally disappears, and it releases a fragrance, it's considered sacred, right, and also, that also relates to Moses, the burning bush that Moses saw, consumed, but it was a bush that was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. So Jesus has a burning fire around him that's glowing like amber, and guess what? Releasing a fragrance. And what's it smell like? Beautiful. That's all I can tell you. I don't know, but I can guarantee you it smells good. (laughs) Anything he does. And so Ezekiel sees this one sitting on a throne, sitting on a throne of, of blue, burning with amber upon an atmosphere of worship, right? So you have these living creatures, which are the ones that cry, holy, holy, holy. And so God is what? Seated, inhabiting upon the praise of the created beings. He's sitting upon an atmosphere of praise on a royal throne, royal blue, right? With a fragrance around him. And the Bible says he's surrounded by a cloud, and in the cloud is a rainbow that's backlit. So Ezekiel, if you've heard this teaching from me before about thrones, Ezekiel's at the right throne. There's two thrones. There's the rainbow throne, Revelation 4, I believe, and Ezekiel 1. And there's the white throne of judgment, Revelation 6, I believe. The white throne of judgment is where the unbeliever goes. They go and they sit and they see the one who sits upon the white throne whose eyes burn as fire and his feet are as burn as bronze and out of his mouth comes a sword. That's the one from whom the stars, the sun and the moon flee. The one who sits on the white throne. That's the throne of judgment. Those who deny Christ, openly deny him or passively deny him. Either way, you've denied him. Oh, I've heard. I've heard. I've heard. I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to go to the white throne. Those of you who have received Jesus in your heart, you go to the rainbow throne. You go to this one. There's a rainbow. It's a throne of covenant. It's a throne of reward. It's a throne of blessing. It's where the Lord is coming to Ezekiel. And he's like, I'm your covenant king. I'm your covenant ruler. I'm in relationship with you. There is nothing to fear. There is no fear in terror. There's a reverence and there's an awe. But there's no fear. So this message of judgment, Christian, you're not judged. You never will be judged. You're forgiven. This is a very difficult concept for... Even religious Christians can't buy into this. They think they got to get saved again and, again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Who told you that? It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't teach you that in the Scripture. We think because we sin, because we don't understand sin. Sin is twofold. You hear me all the time. This is, this is core. Why do you say this all the time, Kevin? Because this has to be understood. Haramatya and haramatano. Two words for sin. Haramatia is the offense and the separation. Haramatano is the sin of bondage habit, and those are the things that are unprofitable. You're born again as a believer, but you still sin, don't you? There we are. It doesn't mean you're not born again. It doesn't mean you're 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 still separated. When you come to Christ, the sin of separation is what is dealt with. That's what Jesus deals with, the sin of separation, and you're reconciled. You're now back a part of his family, but it doesn't mean that every area of your life is can I get a witness? This is where sanctification comes from. But just because you keep making mistakes, it doesn't mean you're in condemnation again. You're not in condemnation. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that true or is it not? Yes. Because if that's not true, we need to take the entire book of Romans and throw it out. Because that is the apex. Romans chapter 8 is the apex of the book of Romans. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what? Made us free from the law of sin and death. You're free. Now and forever. But I still sin. I need to get saved again. Who told you that? This perennial altar call for Christians to get saved again is not sound doctrine. It's wrong teaching. It's not correct. And it's, it comes out of an understanding that we don't understand sin. That's what it tells you. The Bible says all things are lawful, but all things are not profitable. Oh, well, that'll freak you out. That freaks out the holiness churches. They start tripping on that one. I go, what do you do with that? I'm in Christ. All things are lawful for me. The, nothing that I do condemns me, but it doesn't mean it's going to profit me. That What I keep doing is going to eventually lead to bondage. Eventually, sin is terminal in every case. Sin will always destroy, but it doesn't mean it condemns me. I can go out there and do drugs until my brain explodes because of undealt with issues within my heart. But if I'm born again in Christ Jesus, that sin didn't profit me, and ultimately that sin was terminal to me, but that sin does not eternally condemn me. Oh, ho You know what it does, what it's designed to do? That message, this is the gospel, is to make you come alive and to realize how free you truly are and how loved you truly are and how accepted you truly are. And then you go, he loves me that much. Why do I want to do that? He loves me that, that much. Why do I want to go there? Why do I want to keep going to these places that only does, destroys me when everything he has for me is good? That's the design of the gospel. We're to be compelled by love, guys. That's the, that's the understanding by compelled unto him by love. Sin is lawful to the believer. Oh, trust me, I've had some debates on this. No one can answer it. They're like, oh, no, no, you can't be. No, no, no. If you sin and you die in that sin and you go and Jesus comes or you die in that sin, you're going to hell. I'm like, where does it say that? And, and first of all, if you say that, where's that? That is not congruent with, with central teachings within the kingdom. Central teachings. That's what I say. When you, if you say that, then you need to throw Romans 8 out. And then if you throw Romans 8 out, then you need to throw the whole book of Romans out because they're a, it's a connected and woven whole. You can't do that. So what you have to do is you have to ask the question, well, then what is the misunderstanding here? And the misunderstanding is in the understanding of sin. We don't understand the dynamic of sin. We don't understand grace. Our understanding of grace is faulty too. Grace is spiritual power moving in love. That's Grace. We come before the throne of grace. We come before the throne of what? Spiritual power moving in love. That's what we come before the grace of. The grace of God sustains us. What does that mean? Well, it's just the grace of God. Just the grace of God. As if it's like a lotus position and we're just in serenity. And that's the grace of God. No, what sustains me is spiritual power moving in love. Charismata. My grace is sufficient. God's just given me the grace to endure That, again, is the wrong message. His message to Paul, that's where everybody gets that. It's the grace of God. God will give you the grace to endure. Yeah, do you know what grace means? Do you understand what grace means? Let me tell you what grace means. If you understand what these things truly mean, the faith opens up to you. The kingdom becomes opening up to you. Right? It opens. And you're like, what? And you become what? More awestruck. And you become wise because of the awe and the wonder that God is revealing to you. And Paul's like, well, I prayed three times for the Lord to remove my thorn. And he didn't, and he just told me my grace is sufficient. Paul's thorn was the physical ailment that he suffered. Where's that? Where is it? Anybody, anytime anybody tells him that, you slide the bottom and you go, show me where the physical ailment is. It does not say a physical ailment. Nowhere does it say Paul was given a physical affliction. Nowhere. He was given an affliction, but it wasn't a physical affliction. And what was the affliction? When Paul would plant a church, Judaizers would come in and tear the church up. He'd plant a church. You guys are doing good. Your pastor, Marty, you're up. Go. I'm out. I'm going to plant another church. And legalists would come in. And corrupt teaching, Gnostics would come in. And they would start teaching false things among the people. And Paul goes, I can't deal with this, Lord. Every time this is a thorn in my flesh, I have to keep going back and redoing things after I've already done it. And the Lord says to him, my charismata. My spiritual power moving in love is sufficient for that. What does he call Paul unto? He doesn't call Paul unto legalism. He doesn't call Paul unto doctrine. He calls him unto spiritual power. Grace. Well, God's just given me the grace. He's given me the grace to endure. Spiritual power moving in love, Christian. You need to take your understanding of grace and elevate it. You need to take it to another level, and you need to open it up. And you need to stop condemning yourself, Every time you sin or do something wrong or have a bad day or cuss the person out in the parking lot or give somebody the finger on the road, you need to stop giving, stop condemning yourself. <laughs> I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have did that. The devil's right there. You're such a Christian, huh? You flipped that woman off. You better not go to church this week. You gave her the finger. <laughs> Jesus told the Pharisees, why do you condemn the guiltless? You need to put it on your mirror, believer. And every time you're beating yourself up over something, doesn't mean everything's right, doesn't mean everything's okay, doesn't mean your choices are good. None 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 of that may be true. But what is true is that you're guiltless before your father. Your actions may not be profiting you. That may be true. But you are guiltless before your father. Why do you condemn the guiltless? Stop condemning the guiltless. You're guiltless. Live free. For freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. For no other reason to make you free, he just made you free. He made you free just because he wanted you to be free. No other reason at all. Why does Jesus make me free? Because he wants you to be free. Why does he love you? For no particular reason at all. He does it because he wants to. He decides to. True. The purpose of the Old Testament is to reveal sin. That's one of the purposes of the Old Testament. That's why you see like the book of Leviticus. Every time they did something, they had to make a sacrifice. Every time they did something, it was unclean. And what's the message here? God has given us a hyperbolic message, and he's trying to give us an understanding that everything sin touches, it corrupts. It corrupts everything, and sin causes separation, and sin brings corruption and separation, so the Old Testament was designed to give us the understanding of the corruption of sin. It was also designed to give us the indwelling nature of sin. But the Pharisees didn't understand that. They didn't get it. They thought, well, there's sin, so therefore we must be externally righteous. And Paul says no one is righteous by the law. The law, by keeping the law, none can be righteous. Paul thought he was righteous. You imagine Paul thinking he's righteous. I'm righteous. He was holy. There was no condemnation in Paul. Paul was completely justified. 600 commandments. God gave 10. The Pharisees put 590 on top of that. (laughs) You didn't cover enough, Jesus. Or Lord, Elohim. We're going to add, so you gave 10. We're going to give 590 on top of that. 600 commandments. And Paul said, I was guilty of all but one. Every other, every law, every commandment, dealt with external behavior except one. and It was coveting. And Paul said, I can't, co- I can't stop coveting because coveting is not external. Coveting is internal. Therefore, the sin that I possess or the sin that is, that is, uh, that is, that, that, that is on me, the sin that I'm supposed to be cleansed from is not going to be done by any kind of action. There's nothing external that I can do to take away a, a coveting heart, a heart that selfishly seeks its own. Coveting is related to the word malice, and it means willful intent to do harm for the benefit of you, and we've all committed malice. You ever harmed anybody for the, for the purposes of you? Don't make me take you to the, what is it, the third commandment. You're a liar. You shall not lie. <laughs> Bear false witness. <laughs> Only me, I think it's further down. We've all done it. We've all committed malice. You can't, you can't stop. Somebody harms you, and what do you do? Right? They shoot your dog, you want to burn their house down. Right? <laughs> they pull a knife, you pull a gun. Right? They hurt you. You're going to put, they're going to wound you. You're going to put them, you're going to destroy them. Malice. Willful harm to another to benefit self. We're all guilty. That's why Jesus, is willful. Jesus committed no malice. There was no guile or deceit in his mouth, nor was there malice in his heart. There was no willful harm to another to benefit himself. He laid his life down for us all. He didn't. That's, that's the point. He overcame sin. That's why he's the one who can justify us, because he's the only one who overcame malice. <sighs> is that crazy? Paul says the indwelling sin is the problem. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The problem that I'm having is the sin that's within me. All of the external sins washing this way, walking this way, doing this, doing that, not doing this, saying this, not saying that, giving that, not giving that. All of that I've got under control. But the thing I don't have under control is my willful desire to harm those who I feel like will benefit me or to create vengeance upon those who I feel have harmed me. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, Paul says. The law shows us what sin is. It's a mirror. That's what it is. This is why men. the Bible says the law shuts the mouth. I love that verse. The law of God shuts the mouth. Oh, I'm a good person, really? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's just use the top 10. How are you doing on that one? Not too good, right? Have no idols before me. Bow down and worship nothing. Not your car, not your job, not your bank account, not your good looks, not your clothes, not your sports team. Idolize and esteem nothing before me. Sunday is a declaration of God's, of God's rulership over your life. You know that? Some people go to the football game on Sunday. What does that say? Some people go fishing on Sunday. What does that say? Just a thought, you know? Sunday is a declaration of his lordship. That's what it is. You are worthy of my time. This is your day. This is what you ask of me. It's the le- Come on. It's the least I can do. Reasonable service, the Bible would say. Do not bear false witness. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. (laughs) Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Esteem them. Not honor their actions necessarily, but their position. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. I haven't done any of those things. Jesus said if you've hated them in your heart, you've committed murder. What? Guilty. Don't lust. Don't sexually desire another other than your spouse. Okay, good luck with that one, okay? <laughs> We're all guilty. Just because the desire is there doesn't mean you act on it, but Jesus said the desire itself is evidence of your sin. So we can't, we can't, we can't do this, so it's only the law, right? So G- we need Christ. Discipline, deeds, and determination cannot cure sin. Cannot. It's man's nature without Christ. It's the root of all human problems. Sickness, disease, violence, murder, all of society's problems are directly rooted in sin. Directly. And sin at its root is malice, malicious harm to another for the benefit of self. That is the root of all sin. Selfish desire for gain at the expense of another. Sin continues to be dominant influence Christian but why? Because we are the are we the salt of the earth, ladies and gentlemen? Did he say that? Okay, are we the light of the world? Did did, did did he correct me if I'm wrong, did he say that? We're city on a hill, right? Jesus said if the salt does not lose if the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. When Christians don't know who they are, they don't know who their father is, and they don't know what their purpose and their mandate is in the world, the salt loses its savor, and the church becomes good for nothing. We become a Tony Robbins gathering. Which is what most churches in America have become: Tony Robbins gatherings. It's a Tony Robbins meeting, right? Self-help. Ooh. I'm all in on that. I'm not against that message per se. That message is necessary. But that is not the substance and that is not the whole. Christ is the whole. His kingdom is the whole. Understand that? The, the, the rah-rah message is necessary. I need rah-rah from every now and then, right? I need a rah I need a rah-rah, right? But I don't need a steady diet of rah-rah because that is not the message. That is not the sum total of the, of the gospel, and when Christians forget what our purpose is and we forget who we are, all of creation is groaning. So what is creation doing? It's groaning for what? Anybody know the verse? For the revealing of the sons and daughters of the Father. Creation is waiting for the sons and daughters to know who they are. Creation's waiting, people. Creation is waiting. All of creation is not just waiting, it's groaning. Would the Christian understand who they are? Would the Christian please understand what their purpose is in the earth? We're clueless. (laughs) And that's why sin reigns where kingdom is supposed to. Because we're clueless. We don't understand. We think it's about going and getting a mortgage. I'm all in on mortgages. You should get a mortgage. You should believe God for blessing. But that is a sideshow compared to the whole. You understand that? The pursuit of the kingdom is the sum total of your life in every arena. Getting a mortgage, okay, great, no problem. Get a mortgage. But I live to get a mortgage. Wrong answer. Right? That's that's not the pursuit. We're not called to pursue a mortgage. We're called to pursue a kingdom. Seek first what? The kingdom. The kingdom. kingdom. And everything else is going to come your way. Everything else will be given to you if you'll do what is right? King, the kingdom of God and what is right to God. Kingdom of God and righteousness. What is right to God? All things will be added to you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. So what's the problem? What, how do we have overcoming power of sin? It's salvation in the pursuit of kingdom. This is it. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came to save the sinners, came into the world to save sinners. What's the solution to man's kind sin problem? The first problem is man needs to come to Christ. And then the second side of the coin, so the opposite side of the coin, is the Christian needs to understand who they are and what their purpose is in the world. Salvation was never meant to be merely about the forgiveness of sins. Never. Salvation is the restoration and the return into the kingdom. That's what it's for. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. The word salvation is the Greek word Sozo. And it means saved, healed, and delivered. What it truly means is the fullness of blessing. So salvation in the Greek is the word fullness of blessing. The poets translated it as orb or sphere, an orbiting blessing, or a sphere, an all-encompassing environment of blessing. That's what it means to be saved. You've just entered into an all-encompassing environment of blessing. Is it the Bless Me Club? Yes, in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is. Under your Father, on knowing who you are. That's where all this stuff's activated is in that. Salvation was never meant to be the forget merely to be the forgiveness of sins. That was not it. Luke 16, or Luke excuse me, Luke 17 says the kingdom, when you come to Christ, the what comes into your heart? Not just the Holy Spirit. We're born by the Spirit, but it says the kingdom comes into the heart. The kingdom, so it's always about the king's dominion. The ruling power and the reign of God coming into the world, and it begins with that, that ruling reign coming into your heart. It starts with the born again experience, so you get saved. You give your heart to Jesus. The kingdom comes into your heart, and you become born again. Born again is an experience. You know you're saved when you've experienced the issue of you. Anybody know what it means to be born again? You get born again, you're just like, I don't know what happened, but something cool did. You know? That's, that's what happens. You're born again. The light comes on. Something's different. Something changes. People go, how do I know I'm saved? Well, go back to when you gave your life to Christ and tell me what's different. That's, that's it. What's different? You guys know my story? I didn't cuss anymore. That was, that was a revelation to me. i was like, what? I'm not cussing? I was like, what in the world is this? Some people, like I tell you stories about people here at the church. They go, I can forgive. I said, could you forgive before anymore? And they're like, no. I had another guy, he was a very violent guy, big dude, man, big dude. He said, man, before I came to Jesus, and then he's like a teddy bear. Be like, man, before I came to Jesus, I saw concrete and heat. It's all I saw, concrete and heat. <laughs> and then when you'd meet him, you'd think he was just a gentle giant, man. What happened to him? Did he go to a self-help club? No, he got born again. He born again. Something's different about him. He may not be fully developed. He may not have control over himself in every area. This is where the Christian needs to understand. When you have a baby, they poop in their pants, don't they? Last time I checked, right, I have a grandson. He poops in his pants, He's about that big. You know, now if he's as big as me and he's pooping in his pants, we need to have a conversation. But when you get born again, you're loved, you're adored, you're cared for, adoration, but you still might poop in your pants. You make a mess from time to time, right? That's why moms and dads leave the house with four outfits because they know there is no way this kid's going six hours in that outfit. There's no way. (laughs) Moms, you ever go through all the outfits? So if you ever see a mom where the kid's only in a diaper, you know that that kid has gone through every outfit in the diaper bag. (laughs) Some of you go through every outfit in the diaper bag, you know, but your father loves you. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness being born again, shalom, this is the fullness. So when we come to Christ, it's righteousness being made right to God. It's shalom, peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It means fullness of blessing and joy. You know what joy is? Say this with me. Life, come on, you want, you're going to want this. Joy is, it's going to make you smile just to say it. Life experienced in full freedom. Right? Isn't that what we want? That's Joy. Life in full freedom. You're born again to bring the kingdom. Heaven is your eternal heaven and eternal life are your destiny. Say this with me: Heaven Heaven. and eternal life. life. These these are my destiny, destiny. but bringing the kingdom kingdom is is my mandate. Heaven's your destiny, but to bring forth the kingdom, that is a mandate on every believer. Every believer. It's the rule and reign of Christ coming into the world. Where does it begin? So what does this kingdom thing look like? You hear me teach it a lot, but we'll just lay the layer down one more time. How does it look like? Say this. The kingdom begins with me. So when Jesus is building his kingdom, you know where he begins? You. You. He's working corporately, but as he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to build individuals, and into the individuals he builds them, and then he builds the individuals into a body, and then into the body he builds a culture. That's what he's doing. That is the master plan. What does it look like? Every area of your life is to be brought into the king's dominion. I'm born again. Jesus loves me. I'm saved. I have Christians say this all the time. Did they go to church? Nope. Nope. You have no idea how many Christians I have that conversation with. Oh, no. I just, you see, Pastor, I, I do church on TV. Yes. I watch various teachers on TV. Well, that's good for your edification, but that's not what you're commanded to do or it's just me and Jesus in my Bible. Again, that's good for your edification, but that's not what you were commanded to be part of a local assembly. You were commanded. You're a a member of a body. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some. You say that's not a command. In the Greek, it's a command. It's an emphatic imperative. The structure of that verse is emphatic, and it means you must or you are to. It's It's the same over and over again. That word, that emphatic imperative is over a lot of things. When it says, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus, it's an emphatic imperative. It's a command. Get your mind right. So what it's telling you. Think like Jesus. That's what it's a, it's a command. Go is an emphatic comparative. Matthew 28 is an emphatic comparative. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a if you want to. He's commanding you. The, 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 church, the Christian we're to assemble as believers whether we want to or not. That's what a command means. A command is not if you feel like it. Obedience is not when you feel like it. A command is when you don't want to. I come to church even when I don't want to. Why? Because he commanded me to. I do this because he commanded me to. And if I can't do it out of love and I can't do it out of anything greater, I need to do it out of discipline. Discipline is the baseline of all faith. It's the low level of discipleship if you are not even at the level of discipline you haven't even you're you're not even in kindergarten you're not even in preschool and Christians think that they discipline themselves and they think they're in graduate studies I'm like dude you're in elementary school if you're living out of discipline you're you're not going very far either I don't live out of discipline I live out of love I don't live out of discipline I live out of relationship I do it because I'm his son I do it because he's my father I do it because I'm about my father's business and it's what he wants I do it because it must be done I do it because he wants it done. And I do it because there's no one else who can. There's nobody else who can do this, Christian, except you and me. There's no other body of people on the planet that this mandate has been given to. And we do it because it must be done. We do it because he wants it done. And we do it because nobody else can. That's your framework. Let that mind be in you. Think that way. Why do I do it? Because he wants it done. It's that simple. Isn't that going to cost you a lot? It's probably going to cost me everything. It's probably going to cost me my life. But is he worthy of my life? He's worth it all. He's worthy a thousand of my lifetimes. And if he wants everything from me, then I'm going to give it. Because that's what he wants. That's obedience. That's what it looks like. Basic obedience. What, life, what areas of your life are not under obedience? Key. There's five key. There's the radical five. Okay, basic level of discipleship. Read your Bible. Okay. Try to do it daily. Just get in a Word, read a chapter, listen to it on the radio, or on the, you know, just read your Bible. Make it, everything, Radical Five is a consistent pattern. Basic discipleship and consistency. Read your Bible. Just be consistent. Doesn't say be perfect. Just be consistent. Pray. Doesn't say be perfect. Be consistent, okay? Commit and connect to church. Be consistent, right? If you're here every once every six months, that's not really consistent, Okay? It's not, it's not really. No, I'm not even going to go into that because I don't want to make you guys want to get mad at me. But anyway, <laughs> financially give. That's basic discipleship. I'm a tither. You think you're mature? You're. 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 All you are is you're at the minimum standard. That's all you are. That's all you are. You're supposed to move. You're supposed to move from obedient giver to generous giver, and tithe is only is only obedience. That's all it is. You're, you've only reached the level of obedience. Live on mission. Reach people for Jesus. I'm going out there preaching the gospel. Great. You, you're, you're at basic basic level. Now reach the nations. Now reach the city. Now reach the world. Let's go higher. Key areas of your life. Faith. There's lots of Christians, Jesus is Lord, but they own their time. Don't tell me what to do with my time, Lord. Don't tell me what to do with my money. If you have that perspective, your money is not under his lordship. If you have that perspective, your time is not under his lordship. Don't, here's another one. Here's modern America. I've got to bring America into the scene here. Don't tell me what to do with my body. Your body, then, is not under the lordship of Christ. I didn't say you weren't born again, but let's just be clear. Your body is not under the lordship of Jesus. Your body is to be brought under the lordship of Christ, and we are to possess our vessels with honor, and we're to treat our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's morally, that's sexually, that's physically, that's spiritually. Some people commit suicide with a knife and a fork. The stuff you put in your body is poison. You're killing yourself. You need to treat your body like the temple of the spirit that it is. You don't do anybody any good by dying young. <laughs> you don't. It's true. You take care of better care of yourself. He builds people in order to build a body. I'm going to move forward. Change is the process. Say this with me, change. Come on, change <laughs> is the process. Your hurts, your hang-ups, and your habits, you didn't get them overnight. been with you a long time. All right? I've been walking with Jesus. You've got to go all in on this faith. That's why gospel's gospel is all in. It's all in. Do you know why? Because it takes time to process you. It takes time to get the stuff right in your life. And if you play at the gospel, the gospel doesn't work for believers that play. If it's a, if it's a hobby to you, it will not work. Go fishing. No, serious. Go fishing. That's what Jesus told Peter. There's the door. You know? this is an all-in thing. It's a lifestyle. We live this and we breathe this as a lifestyle. Every area of my life is in leaving, breathing relationship with him. Every area of my life, everything. And it's love, it's joy, it's peace. It's all kinds of good stuff, but it's a lifestyle. It's not a religion. Your hurts and hang-ups have been there a long time. How do you change? Number one, you change your thinking. So how do we activate this power? You got to change your thinking. You must be renewed in your thoughts and your attitudes. You need to think like Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Change the way that you think, your perceptions. That's a whole teaching. How do you do that? Worship, prayer, scripture, church, and the Holy Spirit. Get in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Begin to worship in the adoration of the Holy Spirit. And let the mind of Christ come unto you and give visions and dreams and revelations and wisdom. Amen. Somebody knows that's good. That's right. Somebody's been there. You've been there. You're like, yeah, let's do that now. It's beautiful. No truth. What does that mean? Grow up. Everybody say it with me. Grow up. Right. No longer be children. Toss to and throw. Bible tells us stop acting like an adolescent. Grow up. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, learn the scripture. Stop letting people trick you. Stop falling into cunning craftiness. Number three, clean house. This is the kingdom power. Clean house. What are some areas of your life... We got to clean the house. You ever clean your house? My wife just spent 10 hours. She reminds me of this about like, like three times last week. She's like, I spent 10 hours cleaning this house last week. Do not leave that cup on the counter. <laughs> Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. That's right. It looks like you didn't spend any time at all, but it's like t- it takes a long time to clean house. Get rid of everything that slows you down. If there's anything in you, a habit, a hang-up, a hurt, deal with it that distracts you from running the race that's ahead of you. Repentance, which is to change people, places, and things. Then there's other areas of your life, and everybody say this with me. Team tackle. tackle. There's areas of your life that you can't do it by yourself. Any, Any football fans here? Anybody? Okay. You're a football fan? You got that big dude on the field? One guy isn't bringing him down, right? You know what I'm talking about? They got a dog pile. They got a gang tackle. There was a guy years ago. I don't know if I'm going to date myself. Anybody remember the Nigerian nightmare? Christian Okoye. Okoye. (laughs) Big monster running back, man. The Nigerian nightmare. Huge guy. Every time you'd see him, there'd be six guys hanging on him, you know, going down the thing. (laughs) Exactly. Um, there's areas of your life that you have to team tackle. You're not going to bring that thing down by yourself. You need small group. You need spiritually empowered people around you. You need to become spiritually empowered. You need to have people around you that help you recognize and deal with these areas of your life that are too big for you. And the last one, this is the key to the whole thing, spiritual empowerment. It's not by might. It's by his working of, the mighty, of his mighty power, Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do more than we could dare drink, ask, dream, or think of infinitely beyond our highest prayers the desires or thoughts by the working of his mighty power it's by his power Christian say this with me do not neglect the Holy Spirit say this with me the Holy Spirit is my friend he is my he loves me he is kind he is gentle even if I don't know what I'm doing he'll help me it's true best thing a Christian can do is to become deeply acquainted with the Holy Spirit his word yes scripture prayer Bible all of that that's that's assumed but let's go to the underlying issue at hand intimacy with the Holy Spirit that that is beyond necessary and it just begins the Holy Spirit coming. and learn say with me practice, practice. the presence Hey. How do you become intimate with the Holy Spirit? You begin to practice the presence. You know why you got to practice? Because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know what you're doing. You start encountering the Lord, and all of a sudden, you start feeling things. You're like, whoa, what's that? Who? what was that tingle down my arm? What was that? What was that? Who? I felt good. Wow, what's that peace? Well, what's that? You're going to start experiencing things that are not new, and you. And you have to, what you need to learn to do is start giving yourself to it. Right? Christians, they get a little tingle down the arm. like, whew, okay there it is. Tingle down the arm. All right, no more. Okay, everybody, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. He's going down my arm. That's all, as far as he gets. Man, dive in. All of, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. The Bible tells us to go on divisions. You start developing him and recognizing and understanding his atmosphere, he's going to start giving you visions. And what happens a lot of times, Christians get a vision and they freak out and they pull back. Lean in. Lean in. Oh, I don't want the devil in my thoughts. Who says he's in your thoughts? <laughs> this might get weird. Might be a vain imagination, Pastor. It might be Jesus too. Might be a vain imagination. We're so worried about creating Judas that we don't create James, John's, and Peter's. Church is so worried about getting something that's Judas oriented that we neglect the other level that were beneficial to us. We're so worried. Oh, God, I don't want to get a vision from those. If you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. You being evil know how to give good gifts. How much more does the Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You're in his presence in his atmosphere and go, Jesus, Holy Spirit, take me on divisions. We do a vision encounter in fire Starters, and every single time it's off the chain. I did it on a wing, man. Yeah, Charmaine's like, yeah. I did it on a wing one time. I did, we do fire starters. We train people and give them an act and acclimate them into the Holy Spirit. And I did a vision encounter one year. Will you the, you that, all right? Everybody's nodding. It's calm. You know, and we're doing a vision encounter. I didn't. I'm like, the Lord's like, tell me to do a vision encounter. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to go, but we're going to do it. And we did it. And the testimonies were insane. Onto visions. The Bible says, let us go unto visions. He Dream dreams and see visions foundational fundamental part of our faith it shouldn't be extraordinary It should be ordinary prophetic movement shouldn't be extraordinary it should be ordinary healing the sick shouldn't be extraordinary it should be ordinary raising the dead shouldn't be extraordinary it should be ordinary i gotta i got a word for that stop embalming people and give us a chance what if the hospitals were to call the christians and say look this dude's dead we're going to embalm him But before we embalm him, we would just like to give you guys an opportunity to lay hands. That's why we don't, that's why in the Western states, you don't see people raised from the dead because you're pumped with poison. You're dead, boom, the blood's out, in comes the poison. Good luck with that. Bible says the life's in the blood. So there's no blood in that body. There's no life. It's that simple. But if the the blood's still in the body, then the Bible says that life can still be in that body. The life is in the blood, Leviticus says. Change your thinking, renew with truth, clean your house, team tackle, and live from spiritual power. Amen? Amen? Amen. God loves you. We'll have a prayer team available if you need going prayer. We're gonna, I'm going to dismiss. Yay. I'm going to put you and Moise together one time. We're going to see how that. Moise is in here, but Moise is the rowdy cheer her. I love it. So let me bless you. Father, we just give you glory. We give you honor. We celebrate you. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you don't know if you ever have, and you go, I think I have, well, let's be sure this morning. It's not an intellectual belief, it's an open heart. We believe in our heart, not with our mind. Your mind can completely not know what's going on, but your heart can believe it. Belief and knowledge are two different things. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, we're gonna pray a prayer together and I just ask you to pray that prayer and just open your heart, just merely open your heart. You don't have to understand it, just do it. And so let's pray together. Just say, dear Jesus, come on, I believe that you are the savior, and I need a savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I choose to open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside, and I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to heal me, I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have a prayer team available. Come on, yeah, we need to clap for that. But let me bless you one more time. Just receive it. Say, what am I supposed to do now? Just open up and receive. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.